Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You could subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Witt, professor of strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the War Room podcast editor. Thanks for joining us today. On today's episode, we're going to think about the relationship between military culture, morality, sex, pornography, and material culture. Um, And I'm joined by Dr. Amber Batura uh, in the studio today. And Amber earned her PhD from Texas Tech University recently, where her focus was on 20th century American military history. And her dissertation examined the impact of Playboy magazine on soldiers' experiences in the Vietnam War. And she also authored a column for the New York Times series, Vietnam 1967, on the topic. And so she's written about this and has lots, uh, lots to say. So Amber, thanks for joining me on War Room. Thank you for having me. All right, so this maybe sounds like a strange dissertation topic for a military historian. Um, can you tell us, you know, really briefly about how, like, how did you decide to write a dissertation about Playboy in the Vietnam War? It wasn't something that I originally intended to do at all. Um, I was studying icons of femininity in the 1960s and 70s and came across the Playboy Bunny, was really intrigued by some things I discovered about her. And at Texas Tech, we house the Vietnam Center and Archive, which is what we like to say the largest non-governmental archive on the Vietnam War. So I decided since we also have collections uh, ranging from like the anti-war movement and things like that, I would use that to look into this. So I did a search for Playboy in that archive and had over 2,000 hits, a lot of which were um, pictures with the Playboy logo or icon on tanks and planes and helicopters and patches. And I kind of became interested in why is Playboy all over the Vietnam War? Uh, then 2011, Texas Tech uh, sends us to Vietnam on a study abroad, went there, was in a small village outside of Hanoi when we ran across a Playboy store on the side. I mean, a village that that was not, electricity was questionable a little bit, and mm-hmm. then there was a Playboy store. And so I, I decided, like, I have to know why this is here and why is it still here? Like, why was it branding the war, basically, and why is it now in right outside Hanoi, which mm-hmm. would have been, you know... I mean, it's always interesting to talk to historians about how they start their research, and and so often it is a curious source. It's a it's a curiosity or a question that you say this doesn't seem to fit. This doesn't um, this doesn't quite make sense. Let me find out more about it. So as you as you dove in to the material into the subject, what 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 did you find? Why is Playboy all over the Vietnam War? Well, I came from I came at approach this differently because I didn't really know anything about Playboy except for probably our generation was like the Girls Next Door TV show and so and and Pamela Anderson so my view of Playboy was very skewed Um, so I was just kind of wondering why something that I would have thought was was pornography 
was such a big component in the war and why it popped up so much. And when I started exploring and actually reading the magazine, um, which I can now say I read for the articles. <laughs> you read it for the articles. Yeah. <laughs> um, really. But like, yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, I realized like there's there's a lot more to the magazine, especially in the 60s and 70s, than what um, kind of our pop culture memory allows us mm-hmm. to, to, to realize. And so I found that actually the 60s and 70s, um, the question for me was why was Playboy important? And my initial answer without really doing the research was naked women. So a hypothesis. Yeah, yeah, was naked women. And But then there was not a lot of naked women in Playboy. So in the 60s and 70s, there was no full frontal nudity at all. And so I was like, and there was more explicit pornography readily available to soldiers so that did that question no like that answer no longer made sense and i began reading it and realizing like there's a lot more to offer the soldiers and so i found that it's a combination of sort of the pinup images that kind of carry on the tradition from world war ii as well as you know discussions of what's going on stateside what's going on in the anti-war movement what's going on in the war itself that people were uh, attracted to. So when we think about what Playboy offers to soldiers who are overseas, who are in Vietnam, and you, and you started to, to sort of talk about this, it sounds like Playboy is a place where conversations are are happening. So how do you how did you find soldiers sort of interacting with with Playboy as a as a again as a, like a physical object as a as a magazine? Uh, as a periodical is something that they would interact with. So for sure, the the number one reason that a soldier picked up a Playboy magazine was for the centerfold, for the images. Um, I don't want to detract from that in any way because that was really important uh, to a lot of people. And, and whether they read it or not is a little more up in the air, but enough people read it. I have enough oral histories for that. Um, so the number one thing that they that they picked this magazine up for was the centerfold. And the centerfold and the images uh, became really important to soldiers as sort of talismans. Um, so you see the pinup becoming, uh, one, just kind of a connection back to the world. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity for, for young men in Vietnam to interact with American women. So by looking at Playboy, they could have those images of the girl next door. Um, but you also had them using those images to kind of like short timer calendars to count off their time in the war. Uh, there's one story of a guy who had carried around um, an image of Connie Mason. I don't remember what year she was. And he'd had it for probably over a year. He was a reporter attached I think with the Marines and he sits down one day to write up a report uh, and the wind blows his Connie Mason image off his typewriter. So he jumps up to go grab it and where he was sitting explodes. So, and he writes to Playboy. It's like a different version of like the Bible in the breast pocket. Yes. Yes. He writes to Playboy and he's like, he tells this story and he asks, you know, I still have time here and I, I, I don't think I can make it without Connie can you send me another centerfold because it'd been so many years you couldn't find one. And so they found, they, they got her a centerfold and they got her to sign it and they sent him an autographed copy so that he would finish the remainder of his tour Mm -hmm. with her. And so it becomes these, these physical, these images become like 
physical talismans for them during the war yeah. in a lot of ways. So it, it's it's almost an example of, of again, physical culture, material culture, um, and it could be any number of things. So in in some cases, it's a Playboy centerfold. In mm-hmm. other cases, it could be a, right, a rabbit's foot, a... Yeah. The, the Bible in the breast pocket. There's all sorts of ways that soldiers... There's also a Playboy in the breast pocket. There's That's... I wonder... <laughs> they seem like not as thick as Bibles. Uh, the 1960s Probably. and 70s ones were almost 300 pages, give or take. Okay. And so I don't know how it's possible, but a soldier writes in, and we can talk about this, to Playboy, and uh, says that he wanted to thank them for literally saving his life. He had folded the magazine, and I don't know how he managed this, into and into force and then put it in his chest pocket. And he was shot, in the, and it stopped it from entering his heart. And so, like, whether this is in the realm of mythology or, or, or how this happens, right, because the, the physics of folding paper... Right, that but it, times. it was not only did he write to Playboy, but a, a newspaper article covered it. A local newspaper mm-hmm. article covered the story as well. So it's in the mythos. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's out. The story is is out there. Um, when when soldiers interact with Playboy, and you've talked a couple times about soldiers writing to to Playboy. So it seems like there's not only they're they're appropriating and using Playboy in in country for all sorts of different reasons. Um, but they're also communicating sort of back with with the magazine. What kind of interaction did you did you find there? So that actually became, I think, the most interesting part of writing the dissertation. I didn't expect to find this at all, but it kind of became a lesson too for historians, especially as we as we look to try to find the voices of actors, as we try to find actors' voices that uh, you can find these in very weird unexpected sources and playboy happened to be one of them so playboy has four different features in the magazine for uh, readers to to write to the magazine to have a conversation so they have kind of a a typical letter to the editor uh, called dear playboy they have uh, the advisor column where you can write in with questions ranging from like what cufflinks should i wear like how do i match my shoes to my belt kind of (laughs) questions to like asking really a lot of times personal questions about like uh, one of my favorites was a question about you know I'm I'm a virgin and so is my my intended spouse and and we just we don't know what we're supposed to do and what would you suggest to us on on this whole on our marriage on our wedding night and Playboy has these like actually really sympathetic kind of responses Mm -hmm. to questions like that um, and they have two other features that you can also write in and, and, and talk, uh, discuss like the, the Playboy advisor, when that comes out, you can, uh, discuss that and you can discuss some of the other articles. Uh, and so soldiers wrote into these quite frequently. Uh, there's a lot in the advisor where soldiers or young men who are about to be drafted ask, there's a couple of times where they ask, what are draft classifications mean? Um, what do I do if I my number gets called up? Kind of asking like advice on, I don't want to go to war, but what do I do? And Playboy tries to advise them to the mm-hmm. best of their ability. Um, so you have a lot. There's a lot of Playboy will run articles later when Hef- when Hefner starts doing the philosophy and talk about kind of military justice in a couple of incidences and so you get a lot of soldiers writing in about their experiences in Vietnam with drugs and and other illegal activities 
and kind of what their experience is with the the justice system does playboy have at any point a sort of editorial stance on the war so they don't have a traditional editorial um but they do towards the 60s into the 60s and 70s become a lot more political initially when the magazine was created the very first edition has kind of the only traditional editorial in it where Hefner kind of defines what Playboy is and it's the oft-quoted where he talks about that it's they're not taking on any of these big issues or, or politics or anything. It's just an entertainment magazine for men so that they can be comfortable. But by the 60s and 70s, they've, they've kind of moved away from that. Hefner himself points to 1968 uh, and the Democratic National Convention in Chicago as one of the defining moments mm-hmm. for him to get involved more with politics because he experienced the riot and he got hit by an officer. The personal is political yeah, in, in all yeah, sorts of ways. Potentially spanked by a Billy Club. Um, so he, his editors at that time too were young men and they were concerned with all of this. Mm-hmm. So you start to see a shift there. There's no traditional editorial, but in the archives, I was able to find where somebody had written in asking what their opinion on the war was, and they sent them a list of seven seven to nine articles that they said defined kind of where they stood on the war. And it's very sort of anti-war. It's very much uh, anti-policy, really. Like, they didn't, they didn't approve of the policy in Vietnam, uh, but they were very supportive of the soldier. Mm-hmm. So when we think about the Vietnam War, um, one of the one of the figures that sort of looms largest in the mythology is is Jane Fonda, mm-hmm. um, and we think about American sort of sex symbols again these icons of, of femininity. How do we understand the relationship between sex, pornography, Playboy, Jane Fonda, soldiers who are young men? And what's happening in, in Vietnam? Is there a connection between all of these things? I think I think there's a connection between sex and violence and sex and war. And that well and it, there's just a connection between sex and human beings, right? And so it turns out it's part of yeah, what of, humans of, do. Of the thing, yeah. That's how that's how we got here. Uh, and so it's hard to especially because the military, I feel like produces this hyper-masculine culture a lot of the times, it's really difficult to remove the sexuality from it. And so you have these hyper-masculine cultures, environments, in a hyper-violent context. Uh, Oftentimes, until recent history, they're removed from women. Yeah, it's homosocial for much of its sort of existence. Yeah, and so especially in Vietnam, kind of the only... The only experience they would have had with American women were uh, nurses and donut dollies and and women who were volunteering or um, or women who served in kind of more secretarial positions and things like that. They didn't have you know a fellow soldier a soldier fighting with them. Um, so I think that the combination of of combat. Uh, the combat experience and being far away from home and kind of living in this, even if you're in the rear, you're still living in this situation where it's, you know, bouts of extreme terror and maybe long periods of boredom, but you're still questioning every day, like, is this the day that I hit 
that a bomb hits us or, you know, there's that, that level of, of, you know, fear of, of mortality. Uh, and so sex comes into that because that's, it's a human, it's human nature, it's human reaction. So I feel with like pornography, with Playboy, with Jane Fonda and all of those, that's kind of a tie between our understanding of sexuality, what we think sex should be, and and then where we find ourselves in combat. And I often think that combat causes your moral compass to shift. Um, for most people, murdering somebody is not you know, killing somebody is not something on their moral compass. It's yeah, it's in fact outside of the bounds of yeah. moral codes pretty much across time and but, space. But war requires you to shift that focus a little bit and then with that you are having to kind of then negotiate the rest of your moral compass. I feel and because I notice I'm actually talking about this uh at at SMH this weekend that pornography becomes a site where they want to regulate morality a lot especially in the context of the military and which to me seems counterintuitive um but i think that's where it comes from is is their moral compass is so off because of what they're having to do or in what they're seeing and what they're experiencing that by regulating this other part or controlling this Mm -hmm. other part or participating in this other part, they're able to have some control that they feel like they don't have anymore. So reinforcing this idea of a sort of normative idea of what sex should Mm -hmm. be, how soldiers should behave, regulating sexual behavior. Yeah, because, um, you know... Becomes a way to, to not mitigate, but but to maybe offset some of the moral problems introduced mm-hmm. by extreme application of, of state-sanctioned violence. Yes. Right? Yeah, because you, you can kind of see something similar when you talk about the Cold War and after World War II and the United States, you know, social push back to traditional gender roles. And so where you see, like, they had come out of World War II, they had seen the use of the atomic weapon, they were now in an arms race with the Soviet Union, and all of a sudden we see this, like, push back for more yeah. traditional where the, gender Where roles. the world seems sort of turned upside down, a little topsy-turvy, there's a, there's a conservative sort of reinforcement mm-hmm. sometimes. Because it's um, something they can control. To preserve and control. Mm-hmm. And gender norms and gender relations and, and sexual norms are often in that category of things that feel like they're controllable. Um, So when we talk about, we talked a little bit about Playboy's stance on the Vietnam War and and soldiers' experiences and uses of it. Um, How did the Army or the military respond to the existence of Playboy, to its sort of ubiquity? They sold it in the post exchange. So So, it's sanctioned at least at at some level. Yeah, so it's it's available. um, It's... It was also available in the library service uh, through the library services, so you could you could check it out. Technically, that's, I think, that's, that's but weird. I imagine that once you, <laughs> the first person, pretty much stole everything that uh-huh. anybody else wanted to see. Um, there's a hand receipt. Yeah. <laughs> so I found so the library services had it. I found where they um, they they put it in. And they had different category boxes or whatever, so it was in their A group. And they had, um, they had it in post exchanges. So the military, for the most part, allowed this to happen. Whether they, and I think more so the reason 
in in the 60s and 70s i feel like the military was a little more lax in terms of some of the things that are not as lax now with like potentially um but i think they realized that this was a way to boost morale in a war that they were having difficulty with that and so kind of speaking to meredith lair's armed with abundance you know they provided a lot of things for mm-hmm. soldiers to have to try to help boost morale and playboy was just one of them is one of the ways to do that and the other thing to think about in the 60s and 70s is now playboy is very much kind of a ha ha read it for the article sort of a joke but in in 1970 um playboy is at its peak circulation and it's often uh, at least in the top three magazines in the country. So its its circulation is estimated at like 26 million. Yeah, I mean, it's part of American culture at the yeah. time, and so we shouldn't expect this vast divide between American culture more broadly and military culture. Yeah, Playboy is often beating out life and time and mm-hmm. subscription. And so, yes, was it a... It, I wouldn't necessarily call it pornography, but did it have sexually explicit material to some extent? But it also was a mainstream magazine. It's mm-hmm. not like you were looking at um, kind of a more of a. It's not hardcore. Hardcore, yeah, yeah. Pornography, right? Yeah, it's mainstream. Um, when we talk about this sort of mainstream injects into into military culture, I think this is one of the one of the really interesting things for American for the American military is the fact that as totalizing as the military wants to be, it's never fully cut off from American culture and society more broadly. So are there, are there other um, ways that you see this crossover between American culture and American military culture or the sort of identity that soldiers have? Yeah. So I think Playboy is a really good example of looking at how, the soldier does not just as soon as he puts on a uniform lose his identity as what he who he was or who she is now um, as a civilian so that doesn't go away and playboy is a good kind of case study of of how pop culture can impact your your identity your life the way you live the things you like Um, and so it was really interesting to look through because I, I don't just look at, you know, the soldiers writing in. I also look at how the, the articles the magazine is, is writing about the war. I look at some of their other features in terms of um, talking about the latest gadgets to own and the latest clothes to wear. And you see that reflected in what soldiers are buying in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So there's article, there's advertisements in play and playboy for you should drink this liquor. You should smoke these cigarettes. Cause you know, everybody wanted to be the Marlboro man back then. Um, cancer was not a thing. Turns out that was not a great idea. <laughs> you should wear this cut of clothes. You should own this brand new latest hi-fi record player or whatever Mm -hmm. and then you can see kind of a correlation between those advertisements and what soldiers are buying Mm. uh in in the the pacex or at or at the px and so um it's influencing their consumerism it's influencing their consumption the same way that it influences them in their civilian life Uh, discussions of playboy was also in the 60s and 70s publishing uh, interviews with people like martin luther king jr and malcolm x 
Um, they'll eventually post, uh, publish one by Zumwalt. They will have Jimmy Carter. They'll have all of these people. And so soldiers are reading this and, and it being exposed to yeah. these ideas. It's part of the broader cultural milieu of the, mm-hmm. of the time. And it sort of links, I think, like you said, links the world yeah. to, to Vietnam. There's a, um, in Ken Burns' documentary, his recent Ken Burns and Novak's, they talk about one of the soldiers that they they have featured talks about the first time he had heard about the hippie movement was in a playboy mm-hmm. and he didn't know that it was hippie he thought it was hip eye because he had never heard it he just read it just read it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so so you have where they're learning about what's happening in the world and maybe a way that they wouldn't necessarily from just armed services news right right yeah and so they're getting exposed to kind of the drug culture the sex culture all of that in ways in playboy that they might not in and kind of um, stars and stripes and that they might not be exposed to depending on where they're from mm-hmm. in the in the united states right that's, the, the american experience is, is a pretty broad and diverse one and that's kind of what i talk about a little bit i feel like uh especially you know with average age being about 19 for vietnam soldiers a lot of them came from rural communities uh, and so they hadn't been exposed to a lot of these ideas so when they pick up like a 1960 three issue and Martin Luther King is talking in there it might be the first time they've ever really had a chance to hear what he has to say and encounter the the mm-hmm. ideas and for them often that's juxtaposed with the first time they're experiencing relations with African Americans and so they are getting both like now they're experiencing integration as well as hearing these ideas from these people that maybe they only heard about distantly on television so last last question and i'm i'm going to ask you a question that we didn't sort of prep at all okay Um, (laughs) but do you think do you think there's any um is there any publication or any medium that we might think of today that sort of fulfills the same function for for soldier sailors airmen and marines no i think it's i think it's difficult to recreate what playboy had in the 60s and 70s because they had such a relationship with the readership and such a wide readership and now we don't really have that same the sort of explosion and balkanization of of media markets and niche publications and you can sort of see maybe something similar with social media, but I feel social media is a completely different beast yeah. than print publication. And and pornography now has gotten very... The, the pornography that soldiers deal with now is very different than looking at a Playboy, yeah. right? They have terabytes yes. worth of... of of things to deal with and and playboy full frontal nudity didn't happen i think until 1971 or 72 so very late in the war and it wasn't very it was not um explicit in any way playboy doesn't ever show graphic nudity there's never shots of just body parts there's never shots of actions or anything like that it's just kind of a model pose so it was more a hustler and penthouse that had the more hardcore Mm -hmm. imagery and so I feel like you have magazines and things like that now but I don't think any of them sort of are recreating that moment that playboy had community and the reach that playboy had, just sort of in the right time at the 
yeah, right place, right time. Good. Well, Amber, thanks so much for joining me today. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I've learned a lot. I imagine our readers uh, have learned a lot and maybe there will be a renewed interest in uh, reading Playboy for the articles from the 1960s and 1970s. Thank you so much for having me. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.